This is episode number 16 of the Tax Security Show, where our panel of experts discuss all things Cisco security, including configuration, troubleshooting, new features, and hot issues being seen by the Cisco Technical Assistance Security Teams. Um, this episode is going to be a little different from our last ones. We're going to be focusing on a specific kind of network attack, and we're going to talk about how you can mitigate that attack using different uh, security devices. So we're going to talk about how to mitigate SQL injection attacks that are done over the web, and we're going to be talking about mitigating those attacks using the ASA, the ASA uh, Advanced Security Appliance, the IPS, Intrusion Prevention System, and the iOS Zone-Based Firewall. With me in the studio today is our regular panel of experts. Uh, we'll start off with David White, Jr. How are things going for you, David? Well, I have to say it's a bit chilly. I'm a Florida boy, and uh, having all these snows and ice storms up here is not making me too happy. Man, I remember last year you wore gloves at your computer. <laughs> oh, I, but I have been. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have to understand. He came to yesterday's meeting wearing two winter coats, one on top of the other, <laughs> along with two shirts underneath. Looked like that. Looked like the Michelin Man of networking. Dave, did you find that coat that has the electrical heaters built in? No, not yet. And I still want the boots like that too. That seems like a horrific fire safety issue. No way, man. I'm nice warming you. <laughs> okay, so obviously David is looking forward very much to spring. All right, uh, next up we have Blaine with us. Blaine, um, tell us tell us what's going on with you. I'm virtually here with you there today. Um, so the weather down in Texas has been uh, pretty weird because we've had a couple of snow days, but I guess that's a good thing because if a snowflake falls in Texas, then everyone gets to go home. So that's been nice. Were you uh, working from home those days? Um, no, I actually ventured out on the roads that, that snowy day, and I came into the office because it was quieter here than it is at home. Yeah, it's been the same kind up here. Same, you know, flake hits the ground and North Carolina shuts down. So. so, Magnus, let's hear your opinion. How is the cold uh, treating you? Uh, I'm doing fine. I love the cold. You know, I'm a New Yorker, born and bred, so this is kind of, this is my weather. I kind of missed it for a little bit. Yes, but you did not venture into the office yesterday, uh, two days ago with the ice storm. The Florida boy was here with the icy roads. New Yorker? Yeah, just because you're a rebel. That's I don't right. know. It's interesting, though, because when I'm working from home, I have so fewer interruptions. <laughs> exactly. More work done. Okay, guys, so let's go ahead and get started. Um, you know, today in this episode, we're talking about SQL injection attacks and how um, some of the different security appliances that Cisco sells can help mitigate the problem. But first, we've got to talk a little bit about what a SQL injection attack is. So, um, Magnus, you know, give a brief overview of what a SQL injection attack looks like, what the person's trying to do, the, the malicious user when they're executing this kind of attack. Well, the, the idea behind a SQL injection attack is you're going to be trying to trick a web service or website or you know, application into doing things it's not necessarily intended to do. Uh, anything from providing more information than what it's supposed to, to you know, even deleting or modifying information that you shouldn't really have access to. And the way that it all works is through SQL. You know, it's a SQL injection check. SQL is a database uh, software, a database concept, and it, it's coupled with a series of very simple commands like insert or change or delete or drop. And all of those, uh, you know, if you tell a SQL server to do something, it just does it. That's the design of a SQL server. So when you have a SQL injection attack, the hacker or the person who's trying to maliciously do something is trying to trick the web server with those kind of commands. Okay, so uh, you know, a SQL injection attack, you're saying, is basically where some remote malicious user finds a way to use a website or some other data presentation layer 
um, to delete or retrieve data from a SQL server or some database server. So, I mean, there's a lot of database servers out there, there's a lot of web servers, but what leads maybe a website to be particularly susceptible to this kind of attack? Well, it's a SQL injection can happen usually because of some coding issues by whoever made whatever the web application is. You know, it's not a bug on a SQL server, it's not a bug in a web server, but it's more of a coding issue as to how you've designed your web application. So if you build a form, let's say example, you know, some web page form and you submit information and it goes and it queries a database or reads from the database or adds things to a database, usually you're going to be taking bits and pieces of that form and providing that as input into whatever your database action is. You know, select whatever username, select whatever, you know, criteria or variables. And those are ones that you're asking the web browser, the user who's actually using your web page, to supply. If that user supplies specifically crafted information, it can be interpreted by both the uh, web server as well as the SQL database as additional commands, ones that you weren't, uh, that the, you know, the web designer wasn't anticipating would be run. Okay, so let's bring this back to a, a basic explanation of you know, how the, the website actually interacts with a database and queries it for data, etc. So the web page is actually going to present the user with a search form or field where they can enter some data and anything with that data in it is going to be returned. So if we had like, um, let's say a salvage yard that has to inventory, you know, thousands of points of parts rather, and I'm looking for a radiator. So I search for radiator and it returns all the, all the records or all the parts with radiator in it. Well, if, if the web server is talking to the database server, then you have a sort of a trust relationship there. And the, the database server believes that whatever query comes from the web server is legitimate, so it just blindly runs it. Well, what we can do there is sort of exploit that trust relationship, and the user can insert commands into the web page that are malicious. And those malicious commands will be run by the SQL server, and those commands could be things like drop a table, or do an insertion for a particular part that's not really tangibly in inventory. Or it could be, return all your parts to me, and I'm going to grab all of that data, and I'm going to put it on my competitor's site, and we're just going to kind of up the prices a little bit and then sell all of your parts for you. You know, it could be anything like that. It could be um, something uh, malicious that a hacker wants to do, or it could, could be something malicious um, from a competitor. Okay, cool. So for the purposes of, you know, creating this particular episode, um, and so that we could test how iOS Firewall, the ASA, and the IPS can be used to mitigate this kind of SQL injection attack, um, Blaine was actually kind and leet enough to set up a proof-of-concept system so that we could launch, you know, um, fake attacks and, and actually uh, trigger these SQL injections uh, in his web server testbed and see the results. And so I think, I, I think it was really interesting how you did it. So Blaine, tell us what you did to set this up. Sure. So what I did was created a really basic uh, web page that sort of acted like a, a Twitter page. So you post, um, you type in your name and then you post a comment and then you hit enter. And now that data goes into the database. And if you want to think about the SQL injection portion of it, you can think about it like the search box on Twitter. You know, you search for something and it brings back all the tweets that have that something within the text. So for the SQL injection portion in our search box, what we can do is kind of fuzz that SQL injection search box. We can enter a bunch of data and see how the system responds. And eventually, through entering enough random data and watching how the system responds, we can kind of see how the SQL select statement that's going to search for that data is architected. 
once we figure that out, we can figure out how to abruptly end that SQL statement, start our own SQL statement, and insert it into the box, and then get it to return all of the data in the database. So with this web page, we have Twitter, but we have public and private comments. And you know, if, if David puts in a, a private comment, I shouldn't be able to come along and view that comment. That's private to David. But if I can architect this SQL statement in, in the appropriate way and get the database to return all comments, I can read all of David's private messages. So that was the main idea behind this page. Okay, Blaine. So let's start with you. Tell us about um, what you did with your IPS uh, to mitigate this attack once you were able to launch it against the test system. Yeah, so this is the perfect kind of attack for the intrusion prevention system to handle. It's it's based on text, and the text can appear anywhere in the packet. And that's exactly what an IPS does. It matches particular strings or states within a flow. So if we can write a signature that just matches on, let's say, select and, and from, which are two you know, very commonly used SQL statements, and we can watch for that packet to arrive in the flow, then we can match on it and trigger an action such as deny that flow. So was your IPS in inline or promiscuous mode for this? The IPS was in inline mode. There, there are a couple of different actions that, that you can execute on a flow if you detect malicious traffic. And one of those is to drop the packet inline so that that packet never gets to its destination. And another is to chase a connection with a, a TCP reset. And in order to have the quickest um, action that'll stop that attack, you know, in line, you have to have the IPS in line. So yeah, so Blaine, if, so it, let's imagine you've got like a uh, promiscuous IPS, and it does chase it with that reset. I mean, is there a concern that you could end up, uh, you know, getting there too late? I mean, what kind of damage could happen? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're if you're doing essentially any command like an insert or a drop table or whatever, that execution could already happen by the time that reset is able to reset that connection. So, you know, in that sense, the damage is already done. And, you know, that really leads to the evolution from IDS, which was intrusion detection system, to IPS, which was intrusion prevention system. And the intrusion in this case is the actual ex execution of a command on the SQL table. So we talked about um, briefly about, you know, how we can create a custom signature to, you know, detect and react to an SQL injection attack. But I think what we kind of skipped over, and let's kind of backtrack a little bit, is that the IPS system already has thousands of signatures preloaded, and we do have a couple of signatures specifically checking for SQL injection attacks. Do you want to tell us, Blaine, what those signatures are and if they were able to detect this attack that uh, you crafted against your uh, web page? Sure. So to start off, we have a ton of SQL injection signatures. I mean, we have signatures for every database out there. MySQL, Postgres, Oracle, MSSQL, Sybase, all the databases have SQL injection vulnerabilities. Um, specifically, the ones that we worked with are more generic. So they look for generic commands, generic SQL terms. And the ones that we worked with are 5930 subsig 0 and 5474 subsig 0. And we were doing selects. We were trying to get more data out of the database than the web form was designed for. So we were looking for uh, the, the keyword union, which would combine the uh, SQL statement that the web page was initially making with my malicious SQL statement. And then we were also simply looking for select from, which is select some data from a table. And both uh, 5930 and 5474 are on by default. 
and they're set to an extremely high fidelity, and they alerted, and uh, the traffic, you know, it showed me that the traffic uh, was going through the sensor at that point. So with um, the the signature um, 5930, it actually has a high alert severity. And that high alert severity is going to trigger some event action overrides that we have on the IPS, and it will automatically deny that packet. So while that signature was enabled, and it's enabled by default, I could not make that additional select on the database. So obviously these signatures are core to the functionality of the IPS. Um, it's brings up a good point though and that is where can I go to learn more about what the individual signatures that I have on my IDS are doing and what you know what kind of attacks they're trying to stop. Right so there are two places to go and one of them is just to your GUI on the IPS itself and the GUI is is installed natively it's automatically active when you put an IP on your IPS device and the two GUIs that we have for that are IDM which is resident on the IPS device itself. So you can just do HTTPS and then give it the IP of the IPS. Or we have an application that will run on Windows, and then you can configure the device through this application that runs on a Windows box, and that's IPS Manager Express, or IME. Both of those pieces of software have search boxes on them where you can type in words that may be in the description of a signature. So you could type in SQL, and it'll return a list with their signature IDs of all the signatures that have to do with SQL. So that's one way you can do it. You can do it right on the box or right on the Windows application that we provide. In addition to that, you can also go to www.cisco.com security, and then you can search uh, within a search box, and that search box will search two different repositories. One is a lot of information about exploits and vulnerabilities that are currently out there and live and that, that we know about in addition to searching the signature repository. So you can actually find signatures that correlate to those exploits or vulnerabilities. And you can search on signature ID or within the description of a signature. So the specific signatures that you're talking about today, were those enabled by default? Right, they are on by default. And you can always uh, tune the actions that those signatures cause when they event. Um, but by default, they're, they're pretty high already. We're pretty certain that if we see those commands within HTTP traffic, that something malicious is going on there. And Blaine, I just went to that security page on Cisco's, uh, you know, cisco.com slash security and searched for SQL injection, and there's 236 articles about it. So it is a, it is a popular topic. Yeah, it's very widely known and seems to never go away. And, and I think it, it really has to do with the lack of uh, sanitizing the inputs that are gathered from users. And, you know, I, th I think people forget how important that is when designing a web front end. Yeah, it reminds me of old computer science class where they'd say, always remember to initialize your variables, right? Okay, so what is the IPS actually using this signature for? How is it matching this signature, right, against the traffic that's moving through the IPS? So these particular signatures are uh, fairly simplistic, and they may not look like it when you look at the regular expression. Uh, there's a lot of special characters within the regex, but they are fairly simple. They're matching on words that are found within the traffic. And the, the reason that it's so simple to, to look at this regex and to look at your traffic and be able to say, yeah, well, that's going to match, is because if you take a packet capture with TCP dump, Wireshark, what have you, and you actually look in the data portion of the packet, you can see those words appear. So the signature matches those words, those words appear in the traffic, the signature is going to fire, and it's going to carry out the configured action. Right, and as Blaine said, um, 
you know, the IPS is matching by doing regular, a regular expression pattern match. And we've posted those regular expressions for those signatures on the show notes page. And we've also broken them down so even people that aren't that familiar with regex can understand what the given pieces of that regular expression are doing to kind of give you a little helpful hint as to, you know, what actually we're looking for with those signatures. So by default, what are these signatures going to do when they detect or when they're triggered. So signature 5930, while it doesn't actually have the action to deny a packet, when the algorithm is completed that determines you know, what actions we should take when this particular, particular signature fired, and um, all of the different parameters that are associated with that signature are taken into account, we reach a certain level of risk rating that allows the default event action override to kick in. And that event action override will actually add the deny packet inline action to that particular event for that signature. So, so the traffic so, gets denied. So what you're saying there is just to kind of restate it is in the signature itself, if a user looks at that signature, it won't show that the packet should be denied if the signature is matched. But the IPS has additional intelligence that allow for action overrides that take other things into account that says even though the signature fired and it's not meant to drop the packet, the packet, we're taking other actions into account, and we'll drop the packet because of additional severity that we applied to it. Right. All right. So, so Blaine, let's say I'm a network administrator, and uh, you know I've got the IPS all set up, and these events are firing. How do the admins know that you know this kind of stuff is going on? What's the best way for somebody to keep an eye on these kind of things? Well, we have a lot of monitoring tools available to uh, monitor the SDEE connection that, that goes between the monitoring server and the IPS appliance. So that's generally how the customer is going to learn that, that these signatures are actually firing. The monitoring applications include things like the Mars product, CSM, IME, which we mentioned earlier, has a configuration and a monitoring portion to it. Um, or if you're super elite, you can get on the command line and just watch uh, signature event data fly by. So, so let, uh, let's say I'm watching them, for example, and I start to see a lot of these start firing, you know, this signature over and over and over again. And it's, you know, from one or, you know, maybe a couple different IP addresses, but it's starting to happen very often. Like, what should I do or what's kind of the next steps? So the first thing that I would do, I'm um, just being interested. I mean, I'm going to go look at the packet data and actually see what SQL statements they're executing. If a signature is firing that has explicitly, you know, two different SQL statements like select and from, you know what's in the packet data. So the first thing I'll do is investigate the packet data. The second thing is take a look at the IP that's actually triggering the event, triggering the signature to fire, and maybe hit Google, hit the Cisco support community, see if anyone else is experiencing malicious traffic being sourced from this IP. And lastly, if I'm concerned about resources and, you know, I don't want my IPS to continue throwing events, I don't want my pager to keep going off, I'll just go ahead and, and deny that attacker. And, you know, maybe I'll set a time limit and you can do this directly on the IPS. I'll set a time limit of, let's say, an hour and see if, the, see if he subsides, see if the IP, uh, you know, stops sending traffic to my, uh, my network. Okay. Thanks, Blaine. Uh, let's move on to David White. And David, tell us about how you mitigated this attack using the ASA and how the approach is obviously going to be very different from the way you would mitigate the attack using the IPS. So by default, the ASA doesn't really have um, a lot of deep packet IPS signatures preloaded on it. But because it is a 
firewall and it has application inspection, we can look into the payload contents of the packets, whether they be HTTP or something else. The problem is is that you really have to create your own regular expression match to define what the signature is that you're trying to match against. Now, on the IPS, it's pretty easy, right, because there's a thousands of signatures already on it and you can actually go in and look at what the regular expression is for the vast majority of those signatures and then edit that or you know create a new signature based off an existing regex on the ASA we don't have that capability because the signatures don't exist so you really need to look at the the packet dumps of something that you're interested in and then if you're pretty good with regex um, you know you can create your own regular expression and add that to an HTTP uh, inspection to have it look in the payload contents of the HTTP traffic and drop that traffic. We also have tools on the ASA, specifically test regex, that allows you to, you know, play with a regular expression and pass it, you know, input um, some packet data and determine if that regular expression that you're working on would actually match the traffic or not. So that's kind of a nice way of testing it. Now, one thing that I do need to mention is that on the ASA, the regular expressions are limited to 101 bytes or 101 characters. So you can't make regular expression pattern matches longer than 101 characters. Okay, so tell us what your configuration on the ASA actually looked like. What did you do to configure the firewall to uh, get it to mitigate the attack? Sure. So the first thing is that, um, you know, since we had the IPS signature already fired, I just got uh, the regular expression match from the IPS and uh, applied that onto the ASA. And by doing so, you know, I just created a regex pattern match and applied it on the ASA and then created a class map to match traffic to the uh, to the web server on port 80 because I don't really want it to inspect all traffic going through the box, meaning from my clients out to the internet. I just want to get, you know, traffic going to my web server that could be exploitable. So I matched traffic destined to my web server on port 80 and then applied a class map to inspect HTTP traffic and added the regular expression matches, so matching the request in the arguments of the, uh, of the pa- packet and then applied that to a policy map. And the policy map added the class and dropped the connection and also logged it. And so what I would get is basically when I tried to exploit this uh, this vector path onto the web server, the ASA would drop the packet, send a reset, and issue a syslog message. And the syslog is 507.003. That's indicating that the the connection is closed via an inspection engine. And that was an easy way of telling that it was matching properly. Now, on the topic of this HTTP inspection, we did an episode a little while back. I think it was episode number 13. Um, when you start doing this kind of deep packet inspection on HTTP, it can add uh, you know, a, a lot of overhead to the whole HTTP processing. So we did notice that there were some performance limitations when you start to get into it. Um, if you want to revisit episode 13, I think we talked about it there. Again, like Dave mentioned, he set his so that it's only protecting his web server and not all traffic. And that's going to be an important thing to do if you want to make sure that it's not you know, taxing your ASA a little bit too much going through doing all the regex processing. So if you select your target, it'll reduce the load. Uh, absolutely, because again, most of these ASAs are placed where they're seeing client traffic going out to the internet as well as traffic from the internet coming into your server. So you want to make sure that you narrow it down for just what's interested, because it does have a fairly significant impact on performance. You know, it's, it could be up to fifty percent. You know, actually performance hit. Yeah, 
That's, I think those are roughly the numbers we came up with. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Indeed. So, so Dave, you're, you kind of went over the, the the outline of you know how the ASA's configuration is going to end up looking, and it's, and it's a pretty complex configuration to do. Uh, do you have a, a copy of what yours looked like available? Sure. I actually, just if listeners wants to go to the show notes page, um, so cisco.com slash go tax security podcast and click on the show notes for this episode, which is episode 16, they'll see uh, all the configurations that we're talking about today, as well as, like I said, the regexes, we've also broken them out graphically to kind of give people a simplified example of what the regular expression is actually doing. Yeah, I remember when we started looking at that for this episode, that was definitely a, a complex line. Now, now, Jay, if you, if Let's say you don't necessarily have an ASA. Maybe you're doing something like a zone-based firewall. Is there something that they can do along the same lines? Yep. So the approach with uh, mitigating this kind of attack is very similar with zone-based firewall to the way you would do it with the ASA platform. Basically, uh, using zone-based firewall, I configured zones and policies in those zones to watch the HTTP traffic moving through those zones. And in particular, I've got some special policies in there to dig deeper into the HTTP packets and watch for particular patterns. And I define those patterns via regex. And then once those patterns are matched, you can configure zone-based firewall to uh, log and alternately drop or reset the connection. So um, in this case, I tested my solution using a 2800 router running version 12.4.24.t2. It was running the advanced security image. And the basic configuration is that I have two interfaces on this router. I set one to the inside zone, one to the outside zone, and I created some policy maps um, that basically match HTTP traffic. And then they also match inside the um, body of the packet, right, of the HTTP transfer, they match a specific regex. And I basically copied the regex from the IPS signature into the configuration of, uh, of the iOS firewall. And once I did that, um, it was successfully able to match our test uh, attack traffic, and it reset that connection. So in my browser, when I executed the, the attack, uh, I just got back a page was reset, page cannot be found. So it would have you know, mitigated the attack had it been you know, a, pr a, productive, a production system. Um, one thing that was interesting that I noticed and that I hadn't encountered before was when I was putting in the regex, uh, actually defining what the regex was, I was trying to just copy and paste from uh, the IPS, you know, the definition there, and there was a question mark in the regex pattern. And when the iOS parser on the command line hit that question mark, it thought that I was trying to get the context-sensitive help instead of typing the literal question mark character. And so that was kind of interesting. And to get around that, um, before you type question mark to enter it into the command, uh, you just need to type control V. And then the next character that the parser takes from the keyboard is going to be interpreted as a literal character. So that was the way that I got the question mark in there. But after doing that, um, the attack was mitigated, and it worked very well. And I'll uh, provide the configuration and the syslogs that were produced by the iOS firewall. Uh, on the show notes page. Yeah, and uh, thanks for bringing that up, Jake, because the same exact thing holds true on the ASA as well. So if you're putting in the regex from the uh, show notes page, that question mark you can't put in. You can't just copy and paste. You do have to paste in everything before it, hit control V, and then you can paste in the question mark and everything after it. So we've been talking about how you can mitigate the attack if it 
occurs, right? Uh, but we had an interesting discussion before the show about what a network administrator or a systems administrator might see in their logs or the, the behavior on their network prior to the attack actually occurring, sort of like reconnaissance uh, traffic and that sort of thing. So let's talk about what someone might see before a, an attack like this would be launched. Well, I think Blaine uh, touched on this a little bit earlier. You know, you approach a web form or a web page, and you don't know a lot about what goes on in the back end. You're presented with just, you know, the web page front end. If you keep making attempts or keep trying to pick apart how the web page is designed by trying different SQL statements, different names of tables or columns or whatever you're looking for, that's going to start to show up. You know, it's... it's uh, probably impossible even just to try and hit it right on the first shot. You kind of have to know what you're looking for. And the process of figuring that out, that reconnaissance, that's the beginning of the attack. You know, they're trying to figure out what's going, you know, how you've set up your network and how you've set up your tables. Yeah, and usually it's it's a scripted type thing too. Yeah. So you'll see, you know, tens of hundreds of these requests all very much the same with slight you know, single character differences or single word differences going through, iterating through, you know, this fuzzing attack, trying to guess what it is to exploit this vulnerability. Exactly. And, and that's so, going to look weird, you know, either in access logs or in your network logs. Right. Just or even increased traffic load. Exactly. exactly. Right. So it's when you see these types of issues, that's when you can go ahead, you know, and, and block either that attacker or that type of traffic by using the regular expressions and applying the configurations that we've discussed today and provided on the show notes. Yeah, the goal is you, you stop it before it actually gets to the point of exploiting or hitting whatever that, you know, golden point is where either they drop a table, you lose data, or they modify something or actually get that information. So uh, we'll post all the device-specific configurations uh, to the show notes page. We'll also provide information on the signatures that were fired, and we'll provide that handy-dandy regular expression breakdown Dave made, which shows the regex uh, that the IPS used and what each part of it does. I think that's very interesting because it's helpful to have a breakdown like that uh, to understand what the regular expression does. We're going to put, be putting the show notes on the Cisco support forums, okay, and um, it'll be in the firewalling community, and if you haven't checked out the support forums yet, definitely give it a give it a look. Uh, it's where, you know, customers and partners and Cisco employees all get together to tackle uh, you know, technical problems and give each other hints, and, and there's a lot of discussion that goes on there. So it's pretty neat. Um, yeah, and on that topic, I'll actually throw a, a quick shout-out to a recent blog post that uh, one of the guys on the IPS team did. Uh, Stein actually posted an introduction to regular expressions on the intrusion detection system community on the Cisco support uh, site. So it, go check that out if you want a brief overview of regex. So we hope that everyone has enjoyed listening to this episode. What we really wanted people to get out of it is one, to just kind of raise awareness that, you know, what is an SQL injection attack and what can be accomplished or what can attackers use it for and what do they use it for? For all practical purposes, you know, if you have an IPS, you're pretty well protected, right? We've got, you know, hundreds and thousands of signatures that will watch for these types of things and alert you and or will drop the attacks automatically on their own. Now, for other devices, most likely what you'll find out is, you know, you'll observe the attack via some other method, some other way. Your server admins or somebody else will be notified that, you know, you're under attack and then you need to take action. 
for people that are in that situation, what you really have to do is take a sniffer trace of that attract, attack traffic and then craft a regex that would stop that traffic. And you can use the configs that we've talked about here and that we posted on the show notes to apply that regular expression and to drop that traffic. And so that's really what we hope you get. You know, One is awareness. Two is if this should ever happen to you, you have a place to go to kind of you know, go ahead and get a template and apply actions to stop that traffic if you need to. But hopefully... You will never have to do that. Yep, hopefully not. Well, that wraps it up for this episode, episode number 16 of the Tax Security Podcast. Please uh, drop us a line at securityshow at cisco.com if you've got suggestions for future episodes or you want to give us comments. You know, we make these shows for you, so we'd love to hear hear from you guys. We've heard from some of you, and we've gotten some great ideas for future episodes. So um, always visit our uh, webpage at www.cisco.com slash go slash tax security podcast and uh, you can also go to the cisco support forums by browsing to supportforums.cisco.com and just uh, search there for tax security podcast and the main episode page will will show up join us next episode where we're going to actually take some uh, actual customer questions from the cisco support forums and we'll dive into them uh, you know look at what the question is and also hopefully give some broader context around uh, the problem that the customer is facing all right thanks a lot